Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 228 for Monday, January 16th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny under a new roof. You may know him as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello. Speaking of new roofs and construction in general, we've been talking a lot about that in The Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast that our patrons can get. And if you want to listen to that, you can sign up at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. You'll get a special RSS feed link and you can listen to an extended version of the show where Joel and I have been talking about construction in terms of both Lego and my real world utility room roof needing repairs. Um, But that bleeds over into some Minecraft discussion and it's always a fascinating time to see what in the real world relates to some of the stuff that we do in Minecraft. And uh, to that end, a chunk mail dispenser episode is coming up. And I'd like to request, since we were talking about this in the render distance, if anybody out there has real world construction experience and also plays Minecraft, get in touch. Uh, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And we'd really love to know what the relationship is between your real world building experience and your experience building stuff in Minecraft. I know for a fact that there are a few of you out there, so get in touch. Um, Obviously, we have a quarterly hangout that's just gone out to our patrons. Uh, We've mentioned this on previous shows, but it happened on Saturday, January the 14th. That's published now on the Patreon page. You can get it through the patrons on the RSS feed as well. And coming up this Saturday at 11 a.m. Atlantic time, that's uh, 3 p.m., GMT. We're going to have our monthly Minecraft hangout where our patrons just hang out in a text chat and let us know what they've been up to in uh, Minecraft that month or over the last two months because we took December off and share screenshots of builds and we talk about trends that are currently ongoing in Minecraft and probably a few New Year's plans, that kind of stuff. So uh, check that out coming up this Saturday. Uh, We also have a couple of scheduled changes coming up because I'm going to be traveling for a few weeks. I'm going to be in the US visiting my partner's family. So Joel is probably going to be joined over the next few weeks after uh, next Monday's episode by uh, a few guest hosts here and there. So the show might not be published at the usual time, depending on guest schedules and that kind of thing, but hopefully should be some really interesting conversations and uh, yeah, some stunt pixels will be stepping in to uh, do my job while I'm away. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this week, my friend? Well, on Empire's SMP, I am still encasing Hermitopia in glass. In fact, right up to the beginning of this recording, I was trading with villagers so that I could get glass from them instead of having to go out to a uh, a desert and strip all of the sand out of it and, and smelt it because I would be doing pretty significant damage to a desert with how much sand I need. Um, but the whole thing is now probably two-thirds of the way done, maybe even three-quarters, so I've only got, um, I don't know, 20,000 glass or so left to place. Um, and I've been doing this in stages. I've been doing it with a technique that I learned from watching Joe Hills, and I think I mentioned this on the show a while back, uh, but if you rebind your place block key from the right mouse button to a key on your keyboard, you can use the repeating nature of keyboard inputs to place blocks really fast instead of just right click. If you hold down right click, it's not necessarily going to repeat as quickly. So uh, you can effectively just sneak along a wall. And if you're looking at things at the right angle, you're placing blocks like like really quite fast. And so that way I emptied about 15 shulker boxes of glass onto the outside of this thing. I'll try and provide some screenshots for you because it's it's looking pretty hysterical um, at the moment. But the whole purpose of that is to encourage people to think about the construction that the Hermit's built on Empires in kind of a different way. Like if it's got a glass box around it, which is what I tend to do when I'm preserving something on Empires SMP, I tend to... Uh, 
sort of encourage people to look at it as uh, an exhibit and to not touch it. But there are a ton of really valuable farms inside of there that are generating resources people will want access to. So they either find ways to sneak in or, you know, they get somebody else to do it. You know, bribes and, and resources get passed around. Some people may even want inside to disable some of the farms because they undercut the businesses that we all set up when we decided which resources we were going to trade. So... I'm interested to see how that affects the dynamics of things on Empires while I'm away. Um, this also involved teaching myself how to use a raid farm that the Hermit set up so that I could farm enough emeralds to buy all of the glass from librarian villagers. So I feel like I'm I'm learning a little bit in the process. That Hermit glass thing sounds just like the Hermitopia glass thing. It, that's just an immense project like it's one of those things that's so boring to do but looks so <laughs> cool when it's done do you know what i yeah. mean yeah absolutely i i've made it less boring to do by doing it mostly on streams and so i have a stream chat that i can just waffle right. away at whilst i'm yeah, yeah, whilst yeah. i'm doing stuff but i will provide a screenshot of it without the connected glass texture because it's just easier to see and we actually have a discussion coming up in our email segment today about connected glass but uh you can sort of get a an idea from the screenshot of quite how many glass blocks are involved and a few people suggested in my stream chat that I should do this with glass panes because it had stretched the resources further. And I just had to step back and say, can you imagine how difficult it would be to place about 60,000 glass panes vertically in a box like this? No way. There's absolutely no way I'm doing that with a two pixel hitbox for each one staring down at them. No, absolutely not happening. Like, I barely want to build a window out of glass panes most of the time. Because <laughs> I keep <laughs> misplacing them and having like a right angle in the middle of my window. No, not happening. Yeah. It's all glass blocks all the way down. And because it's infinitely traded from villagers, it's not going to be a problem anyway. Like, it's just a time in versus reward out consideration at that stage because you can trade with librarians as often as they want to uh, refresh their trades. So there are about 10, maybe 12 librarians in inside of Hermitopia, all of whom trade glass. So I can acquire it all on site and then use it to build the glass cage around it. Uh, some people did suggest that I make it a circular thing and turn it into a bell jar, which I thought was kind of cool, but that's that's not that's not happening because building circles is difficult and I'd have to have a dome on the top of it as well. And I don't want to make this any more difficult than it needs to be for me. But um, yeah, that's the the main thing that's going on on Empires. Uh, obviously, Respawn is still happening uh, throughout the month of January and the first week of February, and I'm going to be away for most of that. But we got some excitement in before I had to take a trip away. Uh, a few of us teamed up to raid an ancient city. Uh, so me, Bruno, Bruno Danoy, um, who else was it? Kafers, Slates, uh, and Silent Whisperer all went in. There were so five of us all went into this ancient city. And it turns out that the folks who'd set up the server had installed the mod that allows in-game proximity chat, provided by the simple voice chat mod, to be heard by Skulk Sensors. So we could talk <laughs> very infrequently whilst we were in there. Although there are a couple of parameters that you can set for that, which are pretty cool. First of all, it has like a volume threshold. So sometimes, depending on where you set that, the Skulk Sensors will only hear you if you shout. And there's also a toggleable option that allows you to uh, talk at whatever volume you want as long as you are crouching at the time. So if you are sneaking, similarly to how your footsteps can't be heard, your voice also can't be heard. So occasionally we were just squatting down and going, Bruno! Bruno! <laughs> just like, you know, crouching on one corner of the room. But uh, yeah, naturally with five people all raiding an ancient city at once, it was chaos because you get four strikes in there. So, you know, if one person doesn't mess up, but the other four do, wardens start spawning everywhere. And so a couple of people ended up losing lives, but we managed to raid the entire thing. And I got what I wanted, which was a music disc that I could play for my LAs so I can duplicate them. So now I'm able to 
respawn as many alays as I want to as long as I've got amethyst shards, which I have plenty of. Uh, so that's kind of my business, I suppose, is trading allays to people if they're having trouble finding them. Uh, in the background as well, I'm also adding finishing touches to my copper aging machine in creative, trying to get the final design of that figured out so I can do a proper tutorial for it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's occasionally tripping me up, but I've now got it to the point where you can load and unload the machine from a central location, which is where you're going to be AFK most of the time as well. So I think it, it's working out pretty well for me. I think the idea of having in-game reactions to the proximity voice mod is very, very cool and would add a layer of suspense and uh, tension to going into the deep dark that you wouldn't necessarily realize if it was tuned correctly. Like if, you've, if you and I have to go in and have to whisper to one another, <laughs> you know, yeah. and if you get startled, you have to stifle the the reaction, you know, especially if you're streaming. You know, and you're trying to be entertaining and you're trying to, you know, you and I both, you enunciate, you know, when you're on a podcast or when you're streaming, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you do those kind of things. And then you have to, you'd have to unlearn what you've learned, uh, to, to not get detected by, a, a, a skulk sensor. And then I have the extra layer of hilarity of, I don't know if I have ever encountered Bruno Denoy quietly. Yeah, he's he's, a, he's an enthusiastic man. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean that as a slight. I'm just I'm just friend friendly jab. I'm just like, how does how does that work? <laughs> like, how did that how, how did that actually go? Yeah, it, it went pretty well. Uh, I think he was one of the people who ended up losing a life here and there. But yeah, there were a couple of them. <laughs> you'd get stranded. You'd get like pinned down in a certain area by wardens and have to like pillar up away from them. But uh, yeah, there were a couple of a couple of unfortunate deaths. And deaths on the respawn server wipe your inventory. It's in hardcore, but you have lives. So as long as you're carrying an item that represents a life in your inventory, you get to respawn. Uh, but the thing is, yeah, you, like you've you've lost all of the items. So we lost a bit of the gear that we'd acquired from the city, but we still came away with, you know, a couple of enchanted books. Somebody had Swift Sneak. There were a couple of pairs of leggings. And like I said, I wanted the music disc. We got a few bits of the Skulk stuff because unlike Empires, where the Deep Dark is basically everywhere, this is one of the first times we'd actually found a patch of a Deep Dark biome. So the first time we had a, a chance to encounter Skulk and get Skulk catalysts and everything else. So nice. yeah, we, we came away with a decent amount of stuff. But uh, all in all, it was just a fun experience. And I do recommend if you're on a server using ProxChat, give that mod a try. I'll try and look up an exact link for it so I can share it in the show notes this week because, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Having that as an additional consideration... Just add a little bit of reverb to your voice as well, and I feel like it'll be a lot more atmospheric down there in the ancient cities. The one that we use, I believe, is called Simple Voice Chat. I think it's on uh, Chris Forge at that. But yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll try to find the link and have it in, in the show notes as well. I'm trying to find the the add-on specifically for the the thing that triggers Skulk sensors with, with the oh, voice chat mod, because I think right. the two of them combined are a, a really interesting experience. Um, I expect things were a little bit less hectic over on the Citadel, but uh, what were you up to this week? A lot of gardening, actually. Very chill. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a, a good yeah. time after what I've been through. <laughs> Shortly after uh, our show last week, when I talked about finishing the main structures inside the house, uh, the deep slate house that I was working on, of course, what hadn't been touched was the outside. Like nothing at all had been had been touched on the outside. So uh, I'll throw a quick before image from last week in the chat, but then uh, include all of the after images of the two custom stone staircases that go down to the river from the road on either side of the house so there's always river access from the roads whenever i can manage it and i find it adds a lot of activity and a lot of functionality to this 
town that's surrounded by three rivers and to have the town utilize all those you know you'd be using them for water for washing your clothes for fishing for all kinds of stuff and so i find adding those in um they're almost like little mini builds in themselves which is great because you can roughly finish one in a stream you know mm -hmm. um, i want to say each section there was a staircase underneath the archway there was the large uh, bend in the river and then there was another staircase on the side of that and each one of those took a single stream but it was nice because you're just focused on the one thing uh, you're sort of thinking about how it butts up against the thing next to it but mostly you're just kind of getting things to look right so uh, I've got a footpath that kind of winds by the river uh, that's all custom done from the basement wharf access of the stone house around to one of the staircases got a custom tree in there lots of foliage absolutely loving the combination of mangrove uh leaf blocks and mangrove roots to create mm -hmm. like thickets and bushes that are not just all one green block uh and found in the taiga biome anyway because um the leaf blocks that i was using do change uh their hue with uh the biome that putting jungle leaves on top of uh, mangrove leaves makes the jungle leaves kind of look like the flowering part of a bush whereas the mangrove is less the leafier under part of it. And they match very well because, of course, they change their color in the biome. Yeah. And that that was really cool. Uh, and especially, in the, I mean, it helps with the shaders with the light hitting them. But, like, essentially it gives, like, you you have the ability to have the top of a bush in Minecraft without the shaders on. It has the top of the bush look lighter than the bottom. So it gives the illusion of some sort of, like, depth, which is nice. And the textures uh, of those blend really well. Like, I couldn't have called that, but that's a, a really neat use of the two of them like the you, you sort of get the leaves of the jungle leaf kind of blending into the top of the mangrove leaf texture and they, yeah. they tend to tile together quite well exactly and and what i found surprisingly in the reverse uh in other parts when i'm in like a sunflower plains i use jungle as the dark block and azalea as the light block mm -hmm. and again it just kind of adds that kind of layer to it uh, one of my favorite things is the stone dock where i've added like a little um drainage ditch that kind of comes down from underneath the stairs and kind of drains into the river using of course waterlogged stairs and a really neat trick to waterlog the stair in the wall but the wall of course wasn't able to hold back the water so you'd have a full block wide waterfall coming out of this stair until i put the sign on the box next to it uh, to make the barrel look a little bit more robust and that sign is not only looking cool, but it also holds back an ugly kind of block wide waterfall. Mm -hmm. And so it it looks like a much more natural quarter block stream. And I'm going to have to mentally file that trick somewhere because like that was <laughs> unexpected. It's like I had the sign across the thing at first. It looked kind of like a little wooden uh, gate that you might open and shut, you know, if, if you wanted to stop the water for whatever reason. Um, but then someone suggested, Hey, if you put that sign on, on a block next to it, would it still hold the water back? And we're all just like, yeah, it would, let's try it. And it just, it worked out fantastic. Uh, so I'm really liking that. Um, and then around the bend, uh, or just, sorry, next to that, we've got, um, the, the thicket of, of, um, mangrove bushes and mangrove roots that actually go down into the water. So again, use, using the new waterlogged leaf blocks and the waterlogged root blocks, to make the the foliage look like it's actually overlapping the land and getting down and getting its water from the river which just it, it makes things look so much nicer uh and you could do it before but you'd end up with of course the weird sides on the leaf block so the fact that we can waterlog those blocks along with roots now is just fantastic um and then i did a lot of custom 
um, dock work and uh, a little bit of custom tree work. Again, having fun with like stairs and waterlogging stairs and having them look like smaller roots going down into the river and things like that. I uh, still have a problem that I haven't quite solved with the um, the road. There's a rather steep drop off from the road down to the um, down to the riverbank, and uh, I'm trying to figure out what kind of railing or fence I want there, and I just haven't decided what I want to do. Um, but uh, other than that, the, this area is done. It's this kind of like horseshoe area that started off with next to nothing on it and now has like all this detail. And it's really starting to feel like the, the town is getting dialed in because I'm finishing up the edges, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. so like the yeah. perimeter of the town is starting to get like, oh, it looks like everything around the edge of this town now is starting to be touched by a player. And I, I, you know, I find that when you start removing the default Minecraft, you know, terrain and just kind of just touching it up yourself, and it doesn't have to be as in-depth as I've done here, but even just the little touches I find really make your area feel, feel finished. The opposite of doing a jigsaw where you're ending things with the edge pieces instead of starting, yeah. you built it from the center outwards, the most unorthodox jigsaw, but that's Minecraft for you. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's great that you're now seeing some of these areas feeling complete even after putting in a lot of the landmarks, a lot of the major houses and stuff, the freestanding structures, little details like this are really what's going to tie everything together. And it's really cool to see that stuff starting to flourish in these areas where you haven't really given it the time. Like you've filled in little bits and pieces here and there in the town and gardens and stuff like that. But a lot of that is going to be out of the way. And these edge pieces are really going to be what feels like the, the final flair, the cherry on top, the icing on the cake for this whole project. Thanks. I think so too. It's going to be fun to kind of walk around and do that um, kind of like walk through and just kind of see, oh, I need something there. I forgot to finish the top of this tree because like it's a five block tall custom tree that I've walked by custom a couple of times. And I realized when I was getting up high to look at some things lately, I was just like, oh, <laughs> that tree doesn't have a top on it. I should maybe, I should maybe fix that. Or I'm looking at a tree that's in the way of this new tower I'm building. I'm just like, what is that tree even on? And then I looked and it's like, oh, it is on some weird piece of Minecraft terrain that I just forgot to remove next to this house or thought like, oh, I'll landscape that later. Well, it's now later and I have to address it <laughs> because yeah. the tree is like, why is this like little like four log tree on top of this giant rock with no other indication as to how it got there? And so that kind of stuff, I think I have to go through and address. And I noticed it because I started a new build because I am a glutton for punishment. I just never <laughs> want this project to end. I, um, walking along the river, there was this kind of weird cliff that I just didn't know what to do with it. And, and I decided to put a tower there and I just, it was kind of like a brain fart at the end of one of the streams and utilizing scaffolding to quickly kind of throw up how tall it might be and what it might look like from various parts of the town was really, really fun. And it, it's one of the few times that I actually really like scaffolding. If you watch that stream, you'll get me close to four letter words about scaffolding because I was really having a hard time falling off of it and climbing up of it and having it not do what I wanted it to do. Um, but the, the testing a, a tower height uh, was was kind of a key aspect to, to quickly get this thing up and, and whether or not I was going to waste my time doing it. Um, and then after that, I moved on to like block selection and stuff like that. And it's all from the cuff. I had no previous idea other than like live on stream. Oh, let's put a tower here. And so I'm trying not to copy too much of what's happening next to it. Uh, I'm trying to add a little bit of color as well. Uh, that was a good suggestion from chat. And um, I'm there's more happening. I'm, I'm going to have to refine it a bit. But the, the basics are in. I like the location. I like the height. In some screenshots, it looks a little bit too similar in height to 
the tower from the mansion. Um, but in, in other areas, it looks very different because just because of perspective, um, I find that it looks really good when you're on the ground and then it only starts to look kind of like equal height too much when you're flying around in creative taking screenshots, but it's like, well, but that's not, that's not how the, the town is meant to be designed, right? It's mm -hmm. meant to be looked at from the ground. So, um, but we'll see it's, it's got a staircase that goes up the whole thing and it goes all the way down to the river. I've got a possible secret door at the bottom that i might be able to hook up which i just like doing it's just fun <laughs> i don't know what yeah. it is about me and secret doors i just like having these secondary access points and the ability to go from one place to another in about three different ways is just really fun uh so um i'm gonna see where that goes and and um the block palette might change a bit right now it's red terracotta at the top uh cyan terracotta on the midpoint and then it's stone into deep slate as it goes down farther so the lower it gets the darker it gets and I'm just, I didn't want to do a repeat of the, the deep slate build I did just, you know, last week. So I'm trying to kind of mix things up a little bit, but uh, so far so good. Nice. Yeah, no, it's looking good. I think it's, again, really fun that you're building this stuff all with consideration for the angle that you're seeing it from and all of the, the sight lines as you wander throughout the town. Because we're so used to flying around with Elytra and exploring that way, but this is really a town that's meant to be explored on foot. And it's sort of not the uh, the intended experience or the realistic experience to be flying around it all of the time. But yeah, I think that's that's looking good. It almost reminds me of a lighthouse just because of its position on the river. Yeah, <laughs> not I the, had that too. <laughs> not the most the most practical thing to have on a river, but again, like that, that's not what it's intended for. It's just the uh, the way it's standing out, and probably the red color is kind of prompting me that way. But uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how it turns out. Yeah, the rings on it kind of make it feel like a lighthouse too. Sure, I agree. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the first thing that I thought. I mean, as a maritimer, they're everywhere here. So like, you might, <laughs> yeah, you might be you building one it. completely unintentionally. Yeah, yeah, you just—it's in your head, no matter which way you look at it. But yeah, I, so there's a couple things I might try to do to make it not look like that. I might change the top of it so it doesn't look so much like the other builds in the area. Uh, change the roof shape, you know, like maybe make the roof squat, you know, as opposed to this tall peak, or uh, change the. Um, just the rings or have if i have more vertical uh flow i think to the design i think it might help it rather than right now it's just it looks like a it looks like a tower that's got rings around it and if i remove the rings or somehow change them so it looks different then it might look less like a lighthouse and more like an actual medieval tower so we'll see um i've got some technical stuff to work out in the inside right now the staircase kind of covers the door and so i need to like either adjust the staircase around or I need to lower the tower. So I, I need to do something. I need to figure that out before I do any more decoration and, and changes to it. Like I need to know, is this going to be shifting up and down by a block or if, is the staircase going to need to be re redone? Because um, I have just a very specific view that I want at the top and a very specific entryway that I want at the bottom. And I do have some wiggle room, so that we'll have to see what I can come up with. But yeah, for now, I just, I've got some technical stuff that I need to work out uh, to save future Joel from having to move a design, <laughs> which yeah. we all, you know, fear <laughs> yeah. when you're, you know, you do a lot of time building. The last thing that you want is like, I really like this, but I absolutely know it's going to look better if it was two blocks lower and you're everything about you <laughs> just kind of goes, not today. And it's, it's, that's a problem for some other time. It's, it's the days when you want them to just implement a big piston that you can use to push the whole thing like a couple of blocks. <laughs> yeah, I've tried moving structures like that with pistons. I did that on Survival Guide Season 1 with a pillager outpost that I was reconstructing and I built it one block too short or too tall. 
one or the other. And I tried moving it around with pistons because people kept suggesting it. It was the one of the toughest experiences, just like positioning all of these pistons to face downwards so I could squash the entire thing. Like more trouble than it's worth. Don't try it. Um, no, I don't imagine. Let's uh, let's move on into the news, though. We actually have a bit of news this week, although it's not the Java snapshot season quite yet. Uh, hopefully looking out for that in the near future. But uh, why don't you kick us off? We do indeed. Uh, Minecraft beta and preview 1.19.60.25 was posted on January 5th. A couple of gameplay fixes and tweaks, including camels no longer get pulled into writable entities. Mob heads can now be placed on top of note blocks without sneaking. This bypasses the default interaction, so Mojang is looking for player feedback on this change. The correct dismount control tip now shows if not using classic touch controls. Crimson and Warped Blocks sets now have unique sets of sounds. Wither and Ender Dragon spawn eggs no longer are available in the creative inventory, but are still available using commands. These are just the highlights. The rest of the bug fixes and tweaks can be found in the changelog at feedback.minecraft.net, which we will, of course, have linked in our show notes. Minecraft beta and preview 1.19.60.26 was released on January 11th. Once again, a few tweaks and bug fixes Placing a hanging sign under an axis-aligned hanging sign with a V-shaped chain will now result in a hanging sign with double chains if the player is not sneaking. Fixed an issue with the Inception achievement, which would not be awarded. The new Create New World screen, now available in text-to-speech for users. Once again, Mojang is looking for feedback on how this is implemented. We will have a link in our show notes for players interested in sharing their feedback. Uh, that link is aka.ms slash cnw narration. Think create new world screen. So cnw narration. More bug fixes and tweaks, of course, uh, and technical details can be found in the changelog at feedback.minecraft.net. We also got kind of a dev diary, kind of a, a Mojang video all about uh, making Minecraft mobs, uh, specifically the camel. Obviously, the camel is going to be an upcoming feature of Minecraft 1.20 and lots of people looking out for new details on that. So it's a short video, about four minutes, 30, just uh, a few of the developers talking about the process of designing the camel, including uh, Agnes Larson, who's the Minecraft game director, Alexander Sandor, a gameplay developer for Bedrock Edition, and Sophie Niska, who's a Java gameplay developer. They talk about the concept of the camel and how Mojang adds a new mob to Minecraft and the challenges of adding a new mob, some of the technical hurdles they've had to overcome with the camel and even hint at there being an easter egg about the camel's ears that nobody has really discovered yet. So put your treasure hunting hats on and check out Making Minecraft Mobs Meet the Camel over on youtube.com slash minecraft. I haven't checked out the, the camel in any kind of close capacity to figure out what the uh, flapping ears might indicate. I don't know whether it flaps when it sees the player to say hello or whether maybe the underside of the ear has a special texture on it or something like that if you're looking closely. It's tall enough that you could probably see the underside of an ear pretty easily if you got a next to it i wonder um, if it's uh flapping in morse code <laughs> Fla flap once no? for yes twice for no <laughs> you know <laughs> i i am i am curious about this i wonder if that's going to be you know people will go wild for that kind of stuff they, they'll you know unpack bits of the code to see if they can figure it out or they'll just like study these camels in depth it'll be posted on the reddit by tomorrow probably but uh yeah really really neat to see that there's still some inner quirks of the camel very tiny easter eggs apparently that just haven't been discovered yet can you imagine if there was something in game that was like, you know, flat, like say chicken's wings flapping in Morse code to spell out something funny, like, you know, cluck, cluck, cluck or something like that. But, <laughs> but like, 
like how long would it take players to actually notice if Mojang never dropped a hint, like never said, take a close look at the chicken's wings, like nothing, just absolutely no hints whatsoever. Like, would they ever find it? Like you would have to be a very specific kind of individual to be staring at the chicken go, wait a minute. Let, let me, <laughs> let me tell you about, I think it was a snapshot for one point nine or, or like it was one of the in development snapshots that they were working on one of the minor versions that they released uh when 1.9 was in development um and this was back when i started playing on pc minecraft and when i really started interacting with the community and looking at reddit and stuff they posted a snapshot um and it, it may even have been like a christmas update or an april fools update or something like that but within 24 hours somebody pointed out that if you let snow fall in a certain area it formed a qr code that if you scanned it revealed the title of minecraft 1.9 the combat update and all of the developers oh, went wow. we didn't expect you to find it that quickly <laughs> so <laughs> um yeah so so that was kind of you know a premature thing like the people found it really quickly and it may be that people were code diving or it may be that somebody just looked Looked down at their snowy super flat world one day and went hang on a minute um so you would <laughs> yeah. be surprised how quickly players find those easter eggs like if especially if they if they're told something is there people are going to figure it out fairly quickly so yeah. we'll, we'll see but the video itself is very charming as a lot of the stuff that mojang publishes is i love hearing more about the development of mobs it's really interesting that they start with the model first rather than trying to figure out all of its behaviors and all of the extra stuff and then like obviously they had iterations of the model that they showed you in the video and the original camel looks like scooby-doo by the way i can't unsee it the the head specifically looks like a giant dog head uh, like a great dane or something um and it also looks way better with one hump than two in my opinion they tried a two hump model and i'm like mm, yeah, they just look like they've got two boxes on them but the model carries so much of the personality with it that i think it's it's a really strong starting point for mobs like that and the camels do have a lot of personality they have a lot of unique behavior about them from the fact that they sit down and stand up to the dash animation to all of that stuff and uh, there's some hilarious camels tap dancing in minecarts kind of footage that you probably won't get to see now that that bug has been ironed out but uh, yeah worth a worth a watch this video i thought it was really interesting how quickly mojang moved from concept into model in the game and it makes sense right you got a, a sandbox voxel low resolution game like i mean it 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 would probably take longer to draw multiple concept art pieces than it would to just model it and give it a go right yeah yeah you know especially if you, i mean especially if you don't have to worry about texture you know you make it beige you know you just give it some legs and just a skeleton and away you go it, it's very you know I, I say relatively straightforward compared to trying to get a new character in say like a a triple a AAA game that has like you know all the lighting and textures and clothing details and things like that so like that is, is straight away is is it was an interesting note um i also like the one hump better than two but something <laughs> that i noticed in the footage because they were doing a lot of close-ups of the camo which was great because it's you know like i've only ever seen them in game the one time um i wonder if mojang is ever going to model things like saddle handles in a full 3d instead of the flat polygonal plane do you know what i mean yeah yeah so instead of it just being a texture on the side of the camel if it's going to be something that's got more of a a full 3d model and it'd have to adapt to pigs and horses in different ways as well if they do stuff like that well even like that's one thing but even just like the handles that stick up like they don't have any depth they only yeah, have the one yeah. dimension uh like minecraft rails are like that by default i've got a custom data pack that adds a model to them and gives them thickness from vanilla tweaks and i much prefer it same with ladders um, and 
the reason I mean, I can understand on a certain level things like rails, things like ladders, because like at certain level of gameplay, you might end up with a lot of lag if you've got that many different faces of a of an item to render and all that kind of stuff. However, I don't see players necessarily having hundreds and hundreds of camels. So something like a camel where you're going to be riding on it and it's meant to be a special kind of unique unit and unique experience. I could see the extra effort going into having, you know, um, a, a better a better model on the saddle. For example, like the the camel's ears are actually blocks. They're 3D. They're not just a flat flapping thing, right? Similar mm -hmm. to, I think, are parrot's wings? They're not flat either, right? Parrot's wings are actually like a 3D model, I think. Yeah, honestly, I've never looked. I, yeah. I need, <laughs> need to go and see if our, if the parrots are truly 3D or not. Yeah, piglin's ears are another good example of having um, like a box that flaps around and gonna give something life. And I think that that's um, something I hope that we could see more of, because I think that's one of the things that makes me kind of go, oh, right, Minecraft was made in 2012, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, or well, not, you know, before that, but you know what I mean? Uh, it just, it's a, it's a 10 plus year old game. And that's where it makes me go, oh yeah, it does sort of look like a, an old game sometimes, but not all the time. And I really like the newer models that they've come up with for different things, specifically things like, you know, the LA and the changes that they made to the Vex recently. So there, there are some steps that are, they're going and, and making things feel more modern, but there are other times where you're just like, mm, that's a strange choice that they made. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was it sounds like there might be some snapshots in the near future. Agnes was kind of hinting that there's going to be some more reveals coming soon. So yes. that could be kind of fun too. I uh, I selfishly hope they aren't all released in late January and early February while I'm away. <laughs> and then you, you, get, you get to talk about this with our guest hosts and then I come back and I'm like, oh, give me a crumb of snapshot, please. But no, I think, uh, yeah, we should hopefully see them popping up on a a semi-regular basis i expect there'll be some new features and then some bug fixes and tweaks and community feedback and the kind of stuff that we saw with chisel bookshelves and hanging signs and everything so uh as as we saw in the news read that's still happening in in bedrock as uh the 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 bedrock parity features kind of come in and and sounds are added for old block sets and stuff like that so evidently there's still a little bit of that stuff going on behind the scenes and looking forward to some new snapshots as we continue into the new year what do you say we move on to some chunk mail? And uh, I believe the first one is on your desk. Yes. Uh, as once again, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And I'll repeat my call to action from the beginning of the show. If anybody out there has experience with IRL building, we'd love to hear from you for next week's chunk mail dispenser episode or beyond if you don't have the time to write in this week. Uh, our first correspondent is Blood Count, and the subject is Vanilla Connected Glass. Hello, Johnny and Joel. I was recently thinking of adding a data pack or something to my Skyblock world to include connected glass textures for a major build project, and that got me thinking. It must be frustrating for console players to not have as easy access to connected glass textures as Java players, and I think I've thought up a strong solution for this to be added to vanilla. Adding a reinforced glass block to vanilla that could be crafted similarly to dyed glass except with an iron ingot in the middle of the recipe could change everything. If this was a thing, then regular glass could act as connected glass, like in many mods and data packs, while reinforced glass could resemble the traditional glass we're used to from vanilla currently. This would allow the ability to choose whether you want the connected glass texture or if you prefer the original look without being too expensive, and players from all platforms could enjoy connected textures this way. Another perk to reinforced glass could be that if broken without silk touch, it could be picked up. Alternatively, it could drop an iron nugget. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the idea. Blood Count fell into the void, chasing his limited glass supply. 
<laughs> and you know what that reminds me of? Sometimes I'll do this when I'm feeling particularly, like, scaring myself. Uh, you ever built a glass floor over the void in the end? Especially out of, like, grey or any kind of dark colour of glass. And so you look down and it looks like there's absolutely nothing there. <laughs> it, it works a lot better with connected glass, I will grant you. But there have definitely been some times when I've thought, did I put a floor there or did I not? And almost risk diving into the void uh, on the you know, blind faith that I did put a glass floor there once upon a time. Oh, we have done that. Uh, we as a community built Hannah, a server mate, uh, a tunnel to their base uh, in the nether because they were having trouble getting killed and having, you know, it just the limited gameplay they had was really limited by no nether travel. So we, we built them a, a tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel is their, their portal to their area. And it, in the nether, it happened to be like right on a cliff over a lava lake. So we extended the cliff with gray glass and uh, in our texture pack, we don't even have the little dash lines, the little reflective lines in the texture. It is completely plain with right, no yeah. seams. So by using gray glass over lava with where it has a light source, like the only thing that you see is the lava about 20 blocks below <laughs> you. When yeah. you come around the corner and you're you're only just thinking, like you're looking up, like you're looking, oh, this curves around the corner. And you just kind of blindly step off the stone that you're walking on. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh. Oh, there's a floor here. Okay. Who did this? And I'm like, I'm raising my hand in the corner going, you're welcome. <laughs> like it just, and I've caught myself out by it later on, completely forgetting six months later that I did it. And then I go to visit Hannah and I kind of go, oh, give myself a heart attack. Yeah. Going, yeah. Through, going through her portal. Same thing when you go through her portal from the overworld, you walk directly out onto gray glass and there's nothing there. And um, yeah, it's, it's fun. We, we did that sort of in our, um, nether hub too except for it's orange glass so like you can you can pretty much see it but yeah. it's over lava so it, it still has that weird glass feeling of like this doesn't feel safe <laughs> yeah i'll still i'll still get vertigo walking over that for sure mm -hmm. um well we were taking notes on this email and we both kind of fell on two different sides of this like you're kind of for the idea of having reinforced glass as an alternative and 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 having connected glass as a completely different block and i'm Kind of not. So I'll, I'll let you make your case first and then I'll come in with my point of view. So I was just talking about this on stream the other day because currently the mod that I use for connected glass has not been updated, although I haven't, I haven't checked in like a week. But right now with sodium, I need like a separate mod to connect any kind of textures, specifically glass, because it's really the only one that we use that with connected textures. And as a result, when I'm walking around the, the server, so many of our builds, specifically in the nether, just like I was talking about now, uh, as well as other things like Modern City and some of my builds, even in West Hill, rely on the connected glass texture for a really tall, thin window pane or a large glass floor. Or in some cases, I've like glazed walls with a glass layer to mute the very bright color behind them to kind of give it an interesting new color in Minecraft. And that doesn't work very well uh, when you've got these lines going through like a like a Tron grid. Uh, on your glass. So I would love to be to be able to have connected textures and having it be default in Minecraft and then have the the borders of the glass be a choice that players made. I thought that was a really simple solution to getting connected glass across the board and I'm wondering like I know that it adds a bunch of new blocks, but it doesn't seem like a very technical addition on the back end. It seems like a very simple thing that Mojang could do. And the, the key word there is choice. And I think that sometimes 
the new blocks or new things in Minecraft get really close to what players are looking for, but then they're forced to make this choice that they don't want to make, or they're forced into one camp or another. Uh, and I think that having the choice to add materials, add time, add crafting to get a specific look on a block versus the way that it comes out default in Minecraft is fantastic. And I think broadly, most players prefer the connected texture look. So either they achieve it through a data pack or texture pack or whatever. And I've been thinking a lot about getting a custom texture pack or making a custom texture pack for West Hill. So I could have a little bit more of a stained glass look in some places, you know, like with the, the ironwork that you might see in some stained glass. There's lots of players out there that have shared, you know, different stained glass texture packs. The problem that exists, though, is that even with that texture pack, it's still an all or nothing texture pack. So if I create a texture pack for West Hill, all of my blocks are going to change that are glass. And there are some cases in West Hill where I would want the disconnected, the, the lines in the glass. And then there are other times in West Hill where I would want the connected glass. And I think having that choice as a player would be really, really cool. So I'm all for connected glass being part of vanilla Minecraft. And like you, I think it is rare that I want to use the normal glass texture. But my point of view is really that I'm not sure this is necessarily the right solution, or really that it's Mojang's problem to solve at all. Um, the solution that they've proposed, that Bloodcount's proposed, is adding 18 new glass blocks. So we've got 16 colours, we have clear and we have tinted glass, and they'd be more or less functionally identical to the glass that we already have, with the notable exception from the email that they drop you know, either the block or something else when they're broken. Um, I'm not even counting glass panes in this, which would mean another 17 blocks of reinforced glass. Um, I don't think that's the right solution. Maybe if it were block states, like if there was some sort of tool that you could use to just remove the edges and then you right-click on certain blocks in a similar way to how you strip logs. But I'm not certain that's the right kind of, like having a, a glazier's hammer or something <laughs> to, to figure out how to remove the edges something like that might work and then you still retain all of the glass blocks as the glass blocks that we have now when they you break them and they go back into your inventory but i i don't think adding a whole additional pile of blocks just for a, a vague functional increase is is necessarily the problem and changing the way current glass works carries that same problem of changing the way anything that exists in the game already works is that somebody is going to have wanted it the other way <laughs> you know um and so it's every change is going to break somebody's workflow along the way that's kind of that's jeb's law right but i think i think just adding a bunch of glass that does what the existing glass does and having no other real difference to it isn't quite the right approach if it had a wholly different texture like if it had more of the wrought iron work kind of glass windows that you see in medieval texture packs and stuff like that maybe that adds a lot more value to players who can't just ignore this like you know on java edition we have the luxury of doing that by just installing a connected glass resource pack or or, or a mod um i think the problem here is one that mojang has better things that they could be doing than implementing connected glass for a fringe group of players and i think we're looking at the solution to this the wrong way if we just think add more glass to the game because that's not really addressing the core of the problem the problem is not 
you know, console players don't have access to connected glass and there should be a vanilla way of doing that. The problem is the lack of access to visual tweaks like connected glass on Bedrock Edition for consoles. So, you know, if you provide a solution to that, like, I don't know, making add-ons and resource packs and stuff like that better available through the Minecraft marketplace, then you end up with a lot of other problems that could fall under this umbrella being fixed by the same thing um but the problem then is obviously that requires an expansion of the minecraft marketplace which is right now a fairly curated space and the amount of stuff that's available for changing java minecraft because it's available free and distributed through third-party websites is vastly different to the environment that you have for adding stuff to, to bedrock minecraft i think that solution becomes a lot more thorny than just adding a bunch of glass to the game so I can understand going for the simple solution. I think the real solution to the problem, though, is addressing the heart of the matter, which is having some way for players to get hold of the kind of visual tweaks that we now take for granted on Java Edition. I see your point about not wanting to change the way that glass operates currently because there's just some long-standing players that have built a lot of stuff yeah the 10 year old world this. players yeah yeah that's built based on it looking a certain way however to flip what blood count is suggesting if the vanilla glass remained as it is but vanilla minecraft added a function to then make we'll call it polished glass i guess yeah sure we've got polished stones uh or smooth stones that kind of thing smelt it again <laughs> smelt it again uh, twice smelted or, sand yeah yeah or to 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 the effect that 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 you made about the way that you know we use an axe to strip logs or to strip wax off of copper that's a, a function in game that exists i don't think using an axe on glass makes a lot of sense but uh i think that that idea has merit because look what they did with stripped logs wood <laughs> exists in the game they didn't change all the trees in minecraft to be stripped and then allow you to put the bark back on it they said hey here's an existing block in the game we're gonna allow you to then strip it and give you a brand new set of textures without us really having to add a way to get the block in the game so glass would still be um retrieved by the player and crafted by the player in the same way you're not adding a new block to go hunt down or to generate in the world but you would be then giving the added function of like okay well once you've got your glass the way that you want it if you want to go through that entire wall and we'll say strip it now for the sake of an easy way to say it um and change it back to smooth and you could do that uh, or as you suggested a double smelt that would be interesting and then you have the idea of like all right well now i have a glass smelter and i've got to do this auto smelter in a way that everything gets spat out into a water stream and has to be smelted again before it's get you know gets stored that could be really interesting too so like i think there are some ideas that would increase player interaction and increase gameplay without just like a make easy button that just gives them the thing that that they want you know what i mean i will settle for the ability to smelt glass in a blast furnace so it happens twice as fast <laughs> there <laughs> going you go back, going back to our our gripes with the implementation of the blast furnace and only smelting ores i want to be able to smelt glass faster um and yeah with with current projects that i'm working on goodness knows juggling more glass is not something that i need but i think it would be kind of interesting yeah so th there are some ways i think to make it a valuable addition to vanilla minecraft gameplay and I don't know if that's something they plan on doing right now, but who knows? Pie in the sky, 
sometime in the future we could see connected glass in vanilla it might be one of the first times that connected textures even show up in vanilla because to my knowledge there's not a lot of stuff that changes its texture dynamically based on what blocks are around it other than walls which actually change block state and block shape so there's there's some some differences there but yeah uh, i i like the suggestion at least i think it's good that people are thinking about stuff like this and trying to come up with a positive solution for it instead of just complaining so thank you for the email our next email comes from Imp Imperfect, building a long-term world. And we are gonna spin part of this email off into our main discussion, but we'll address part of it here as well. Hello, Joel and Pixariffs. I've watched some of Joel's West Hill VODs over the holidays, and I felt inspired to start my own long-term medieval city. Yay! Also, I'm very sorry. Uh, I've been wanting for years to do this, but I've never felt patient enough to gather the thousands of blocks in survival needed. I started a new world and started planning, but I ran into a few problems. First, I wondered whether you guys use random seeds or scout for a seed you like. I started on a random seed and I got a really huge dark oak forest, but a lot of other useful biomes are literally thousands of blocks away. and I don't know whether I should start over or stick with this world. Second, I noticed Joel loses a lot of time having to walk back to his bed every 10 minutes and I run into the same problem. So here's an idea that doesn't really help on servers, but may benefit solo players. Allowing yourself a quote unquote build mode and live mode as in The Sims. When you're building, you'd set the difficulty to peaceful and or lock the daylight cycle using the game rule command. And when gathering resources, you set it back. I haven't tried this yet. I keep forgetting, but maybe I'll remember someday. Would love to hear your thoughts. Imp Imperfect got lost in a dark oak forest trying to find stony peaks for calcite. <laughs> the ongoing quest for stony peaks and for more calcite. There you go. Yeah, d dark oak forest spawn. That's, well, a lot of free wood, first of all. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's the stuff that we're going to talk about more in the, in the main discussion is uh, scouting your Minecraft world beforehand and what resources are available to you, how we select build locations and stuff like that. So the second half of this email is calling you out, I feel like, a little bit. And that's uh, about talking about how the, the long walk back to your bed and uh, how you use that time and how that time might be used better. So how do you feel about that one? So I've stopped noticing, I think. I just end up going back. Uh, and I I bring a bed with me. It's not in my inventory, but it's like it's next to all my shulkers. The shulker island that gets larger and larger every time I do something new on the West Hill build uh, has got a bed and an ender chest, a couple of crafting tables and things like that nearby. And so I just return to that area. Usually I have to go back and dump inventory items anyway. But um, the big pain in the butt lately has come with taller builds. You know, you get all the way up to the top of something and you're working on working on it and then it gets dark and you're like okay i i really should have checked you know before i go up and i have a small map mod that allows me to have a, a timer and i know that at 1832 i can sleep so if i'm going up a big scaffolding piece and i forgot to check that it's 1735 i have one minute before it gets too dark to see what i'm doing and this is where i really miss the dynamic lighting um, from optifine because we're using sodium on the server I can't find a, a fabric mod for dynamic lighting that allows the torch in your hand to light what you're doing visually just to kind of so you can see and so the stream can see. Um, that doesn't lag my game experience um, hugely. So I'm kind of stuck without it at the moment. Um, the thing that I, uh, I am guilty of doing is not moving my bed closer to the build. Like I could totally take the bed and put it like on the riverbank, you know, or somewhere nearby where like if i know i'm going to be down there for 20 30 minutes working on something i could just bring the bed i just don't uh it's just being lazy um 
the other thing is that um, I use that time, especially if I've got the bed inside one of the buildings, I use that time back and forth to walk along the roads and, and double check stuff. Uh, I do it a lot on purpose when I'm streaming and talking about design. I tend to walk back and forth a lot because I, I kind of want to know how things feel, how different parts of the build kind of pass by you in perspective as you walk around a corner, what tree kind of crosses in front of your face, you know, as you reveal a new build around the corner, that kind of thing. And if I don't walk back and forth to the bed, I'm kind of like killing two birds with one stone. Like I'm just, I'm able to do that while I'm going back and forth, but I, I can see the push and pull. Um, on that. I just, we haven't really found the need to change the daylight cycle or give players that control. We've, we've done some things like that, where we've got a command block in the modern city that because the, the skyscrapers are just so hard to see what you're doing from the ground. We, um, on an honor system, just have a command block that'll allow any player to go into creative mode, which allows you to fly around like you're in a helicopter. Uh, Alistair at one point even had it. Um, he had like a helicopter noise that he would play on a stream. So it sounded like he was <laughs> yeah. in one, which was really funny. Um, and we just, we know you could, people could build in that, that state, but we just, we're all friends and we just agreed not to. The creative mode just forbids people from like flying through the ground, either by accident or on purpose and seeing where the mines and minerals and things are. So it keeps the survival aspect of it alive. Um, and we could do something like that, uh, or, or players could do something like that. You know, you could create a command block that has the, the, the game rule for the daylight, um, cycle and maybe hook it up to a redstone component that makes you sacrifice something important, like, I don't know, diamonds or sand or something that you just don't have a lot of in your world. And every time you want to stop the sun where it is in the sky, you've got to sacrifice something. And that, that could be an interesting idea. I mean, something that you could pitch to server mates, that kind of a thing. Um, so there are some ways that you can get around it. Um, I, I just kind of, I guess I'm just used to it by now. Um, or, uh, depending on where I am, uh, I just build in the dark. Like I don't worry about it if I'm underground. I don't worry about it if I'm in a place that's really well lit. I just kind of work through the night and don't really notice. Um, there's a couple points where that happened on the deep slate build where I was working inside and I just didn't really realize how, how, uh, dark it had become because sometimes I want to work in the dark. Like when I'm lighting with candles and I'm doing specific kind of lighting around the streets, I want to make sure that I've got things that are lit almost to the point where it's spawn proof. But I also want it visually to not look like a, a modern city street being super well lit. It's a medieval town. Like I want it to look dim. Um, but I mean, to each their own, I, I think that if you're on a single player world and you're okay with just like freezing time so you can build unencumbered and, and just save that time, uh, I'll use Satisfactory as, as an example. That's a game where most people are playing it for the building and the management part of it. They don't really care about the PVE. The monsters are not that interesting to a lot of people. And there's a mod for Satisfactory that just turns on permaday. It just leaves it daylight all the time. Now, you miss things like the pretty sunsets and whatnot. But like the other thing about Satisfactory, which is nice, is that the day is 50, five zero minutes, and the night is only five. So I don't use the permaday mod. I just use that time for my stream break you know like i just sure, I, get yeah, up yeah. And I walk away for five minutes i put everybody on an automatic train that rides around and then when i come back the sun's coming up so you know on a pretty game that has some nice lighting i kind of want the day night cycle but you know it would be different i think too if minecraft you know was something i could play with shaders on i would be more inclined to leave it going and and you know want to see that cool lighting the sunbeams, the light shafts all that kind of stuff um, so it's, it's a tough call, but I think ultimately, I mean, it's a sandbox game, you know, like if, if you're, if you're okay with stopping the, the daylight cycle, then 
you know, and you and your server mates are cool with it, then just, you know, give it a go. You can always try it and just not do it anymore if it feels cheaty, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I would probably just forget to re-enable it and get tired of typing the command every however long. You know, that's the kind of thing that I, I'd probably end up, like, m more out of my own negligence than anything else. I would not want to do stuff like that too much. But it does remind me of the decidedly vanilla season, I think it was season four, when we had a 40-minute day. And what would happen right. is there was a a box basically at the center of the world in the spawn chunk, so it was constantly loaded, in which we had a daylight sensor that was hooked up to a redstone clock that would power command blocks. The daylight sensor would first activate a command block which froze the day-night cycle, and then it would start a clock that every, min every um, second of gameplay it would move the day along, I think, five game ticks or something like that. And if you do the math, that works out to being roughly 40 minutes um, from dawn to dusk. And then it reactivated the day-night cycle once the daylight center was no longer receiving direct sunlight and the night happened at its normal pace. So we had a 40-minute day and a 10-minute night. I think that was fun. I think it was a really neat way of resolving that problem. On a server, obviously, it leaves command blocks out in the open, but if players are in survival, then they can't edit those anyway. So it, it was quite a neat system. Um, in regular vanilla gameplay, I've been trying to carry a bed with me lately, and that does bring the issue of moving or breaking your spawn point quite frequently. So if you're playing in a more dangerous situation or a creeper sneaks up on you whilst you're AFK or something, then, yeah, you end up respawning back at world spawn, which for some players can be very inconvenient. Um, I tend to sleep frequently throughout even like you know tree gathering sessions and stuff like that even if i'm in a fairly well lit area mostly because i just like it being daytime like it feels like a nicer way to spend your time in minecraft but also like you it sort of allows me to look around it allows my brain to reset from whatever task i'm doing and not just get bored of constantly chopping trees or working on this build the entire time sometimes it's for the purposes of time lapses as well since they tend to happen mostly during the day and it's easier to see what you're doing but for the rest of the time it's really just a way to step away from whatever task you're doing periodically allow yourself to take a bit of a break from concentration and i think that can be quite a healthy way to build so don't consider that time as necessarily used unwisely i think sometimes it can really make a difference let's talk about the other half of this email though because uh this is the, the the really interesting part about scouting your minecraft world in game versus using an online tool to find what you want before you even load up the game and we've both taken both approaches i think like you you don't start new worlds regularly but you do it for things like snapshot survival worlds if you want to try out some stuff like that so you've, you've had occasional times when you've stumbled upon some really interesting new landscapes or just kind of gone well i can't really get going from here uh i remember when bamboo was implemented right you ended up spawning basically out of bamboo forest was that a seed you'd selected or was that one that threw a bamboo forest at you randomly oh yeah no i looked up a, i looked up a seed that was like jungle spawn or, right, or okay, bamboo yeah. forest spawn like 100 started started right with it at my and my fingertips because i wanted to know i wanted to jump into the new content right away um but that i mean that's a little bit different because that's more for like podcasting testing purposes and like sure, gathering yeah. knowledge and stuff like that so i do that just because i wanted to um get to the information i wanted to talk about quickly but um, I did scout the Citadel seed. So the Citadel being a long-term world, um, even though we haven't changed anything about it in a long time, um, it was a seed that I did look up because when we first started, everybody was, you know, a you know, prof professional, they had a full-time job. 
um, family, you know, to look after other adult responsibilities. I mean, and for like, I've since moved into like Minecraft and, and streaming and podcasting as a full-time job, but you know, I didn't have a lot of time either. So, you know, we basically just looked up the seed to find out what major biomes similar to what uh, Imp and Perfect was talking about were within about a thousand blocks. So like, we know we wanted a desert, dark oak, spruce, you know, we just wanted enough of the, you know, early spread of blocks so that we weren't all working with like oak and stone for like the first, you know, several hundred hours, you know, on mm -hmm. the server, not hundred hours, but you know what I mean? And uh, so I just, I was just uh, using a, a, a website like chunkbase.com and I was using another one too, but I think it no longer works. It's, it's no longer been updated to modern Minecraft, but chunkbase.com is a great site that you can use for like biomes. You can look at um, a bunch of other things, including like witch huts and, um, not portals, uh, strongholds, like all that kind of stuff. So depending on your, what your level of, we'll call it spoilers, you know, you can find what you want. And so we just kind of looked around and said, okay, this feels like a decent spot. Uh, I'll load up this. And I flew around very briefly just to kind of see like, is there a good spot for building that's not right at spawn, but nearby. And it all worked out pretty well. And I started to get inspired. So I just decided to stick with it. And we haven't had any real issues other than there's not a lot of deserts nearby. Like we've got one that we just kind of designated as like the mining desert, but like there's not a lot of deserts where people are going to want to build in. Um, and the, the only regret that we have at this point was that we um, did not click on large biomes. I have <laughs> a biome. I have a, my original world was called Eternia. It's a single player world and it had large biomes in it. And back then I just felt like, everything was super far away much like imp imperfect is talking about and i know now how narrow my view of minecraft was at the time because what i thought was far away then is not far away yeah <laughs> at all uh and so one of the problems we have on the citadel is that even with all this new content that's coming out it's still set to having like small biomes so even with 118 you'll have like a cool mountain range but it's not very big Mm -hmm. uh, or you'll have like, oh, this is a really cool, um, you know, like our mangrove swamp, thankfully, is a little bit bigger. But, you know, it's still there. You can get these new biomes and get excited and realize, well, crap, this is even large enough to build in because you get like the biome borders right away. So there are challenges like that. I have that challenge in West Hill. Like the, the West Hill is so big that it actually goes through a taiga and a sunflower plains. And so like there's nothing I can really do about it. Um, so stuff like that, I mean, it does provide some building challenges and does kind of direct how you might approach an area, but I would like to have those things be be larger. Um, one of the things that we do uh, as we expand the Citadel is I do get into administrator mode and I fly around and scout new areas. So I've talked about it on the show before. We've got these zones. We've got like the modern city. We've got the medieval area. We've got, hopefully there'll be a sci-fi zone in the future. Um, and we have a couple of other just places like the 118 area, same thing. We kind of searched that out. Actually, I think Cosmic was the one that found the 118 area. Um, but the idea was that um, by using this method, uh, we can then set up the, the teleportation um, setup in the World Hub. We use command blocks to say, for example, instantly teleport me 9,000 blocks in both directions to the medieval zone. Now, the medieval zone is huge. And I flew around it just kind of making sure it had the right kind of biomes, had the right kind of like potential. So I didn't like get down and explore everything. I just kind of wanted it to have the right kind of vibe for that level of building. And then we just kind of like create a arrival area. And then from there, it's all explored in survival. So it's not like I'm 
really casing out the jo joint entirely. And I'm also not flying with spectator below ground. So I'm not seeing spawners and mine shafts and geodes and stuff like that. It's more just kind of like from a creative standpoint, I get an overall vibe of the area. But, you know, flying around or using a chunk based tool like uh, like the website there allows me to find things like a large mushroom island for sci-fi zones. Uh, I can find, you know, large flat areas where I, I want to build a modern city, but I don't want to spend my entire life flattening it out for roads, you know, like stuff like that um, has saved us a lot of time. And I just think that because we put in so much time creatively into the world uh, on these big projects that we all have, I think it's just a nice perk to kind of like know where we're going. Um, and then from a technical side of things on the Citadel, Every once in a while, say with like the big 118 shift with Caves and Cliffs, I trim the world, I trim the chunks. And uh, by using the uh, the tools available to scout ahead of time, we don't have hundreds and thousands of chunks explored, either being flown over, just quickly built in for a little bit and then moved on. We only have these very simple designated areas. So one, it's a smaller server size in terms of just the file size, but also it, it makes it very easy for me to say, oh, wow, there's a spot where someone's built something. And then there's a whole lot of nothing in between. And I can very easily just carve that out. And if we need to get new content, then that new content will arrive in, in that area. So that is a, a more of a practical way, I guess, if you're dealing with a long-term world to utilize the tools like chunkbase.com or flying around in, in creative or spectator mode to kind of like scout the, the area. Um, I, I think it's it's worth it if you if you know you're going to be spending a lot of time into this. The only time that I would suggest that it, it might be something you want to avoid if it's if it's like your first time playing Minecraft, you might you might want to experience the game kind of like on foot uh, as as other people do. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I kind of fall on both sides of this argument because I... I mean, I found the seed for Empire Season 2, but that was chosen in a big voice call with each of us rolling random seeds, again using chunk base, looking for worlds that had the right biomes in a 2,000 block radius. And it's because we're all experienced Minecraft players, we all had a good idea of what our empires wanted to be, and we wanted specific biomes to build them in, so making sure that interaction could be promoted by just the layout of the world, and us each having basically neighbours and different biomes being a little bit further out we we tried to create an environment where there was enough of that within a short enough area that we were going to run into each other constantly or at least not have to travel so far to get to each other's empires um a couple of players ended up settling further out once we found the right seed just because you know the position of a couple of things but we found our seed on chunk base loaded it up in the world and would start like going through seeing what was what and what really defined this season of empires is like the world itself having a strong identity that was part of my mission statement for it was i want this world to have a backstory and so it's got to have its own character right from the get-go and you know, the season being so story focused we really wanted the terrain to feel striking. So much of the terrain around our spawn area is really tall. Like, any flat ground to build on is at least 40 blocks or so above sea level, and there are mountains nearby, and it creates a good first impression, but then we are obviously digging down to find deep dark everywhere and bits and pieces like that. There's there's some, some challenges to building around there, and you've got to think about height limits and how easy it is to get to the nearest ocean biome and that kind of thing. But there's... A lot to be said for that, 
and it allowed us to really get the start that we wanted and allow the area to speak for itself before we put a great deal of changes into it. On the flip side, Survival Guide Season 2 was a random seed, again, by design, because part of the point of that series for me is showing people how to adapt to whatever Minecraft throws at them. And I even kind of locked myself into having a specific seed by... I, I rolled the seed at the end of the previous tutorial, which was all about, like, world settings and stuff like that. So I couldn't then bail myself out later and be like, well, actually, it generated a completely different world and, like, just restart episode one until I found a world seed that I wanted. And so, honestly, it's a seed that I probably wouldn't have chosen if I was going through chunk base. I might not have looked at it twice because the spawn is on a beach next to a birch forest and the area around there is mostly birch forest and rivers the nearest deserts are miles away the terrain isn't super dramatic or interesting it wasn't really emblematic of the best 1.18 had to offer i would have set a spawn somewhere near a mountain if that was the case but the whole message i was going with was that if you commit to a long-term world there will inevitably be parts of it that you grow to love um the, there's a few of those on the survival guide there's an almost perfectly circular inland ocean uh, which is where i built my general mob farm but i really want to build a harbor town around that especially having watched uh, the rings of power on amazon prime and seeing numenor all built around this circular harbor like i i i love that the um the central like city of armenolos in numenor and i think that's such a, a cool set of inspiration to pull from um, when I was exploring further out, I found one of those giant spruce biomes with pods all everywhere that feels like a national park, complete with how long it takes you to get there. <laughs> I feel like whenever you've been traveling for half a day to get to, you know, Yosemite or wherever in the States, uh, the places that I've been that resemble stuff like that, it always feels like you take a little while to get there. And with it being maybe six or seven thousand blocks out in my world even through the nether that's quite a trek so it really feels like you are going out into the wilderness to find places like that and i would never have settled on a birch forest biome as a place to build my base normally i don't really like the grass color and it's not my preferred wood type but the seed kind of forced my hand and because i wanted to take care of all of the early game minecraft stuff very soon in that series i had to accept it i started out slowly over time, I can turn it into whatever I wanted, but it thrust me into a situation that I hadn't faced in Minecraft before, which was effectively having to build in the first biome I came across and not liking it as much as I like a good plains biome or a decent forest. And I think that's one of the things that as you grow in your Minecraft experience, you start to desire more is, you know, being forced into a situation that you have to deal with because the game has fewer and fewer surprises for you after a certain point and whether you get your kicks out of that from playing minecraft or not is you know probably a, a more personal thing but for me i felt like it was a happy accident it allowed me to explore a side of minecraft for myself that i wouldn't necessarily have chosen when it comes to resetting worlds or or trying to find a seed that you like or dealing with what you have i think that it's a lot easier now after 118 when you're talking about aesthetics so not necessarily talking about the proximity of things like deserts or biomes that you want to pilfer for specific blocks like you know the bamboo forests and whatnot but i think that it's a lot easier now to just start a random seed and land somewhere 
completely random in a new world and be like, well, it's still pretty. Like, wow. You know, yeah. I, I find that whenever I load up a new world in a new snapshot to take screenshots for the title cards for the podcast or whatever, I'm often just like, God, I kind of want to play in this world. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I get, I get caught up in it. And I think that's a tip of the hat to what Mojang has done with uh, terrain generation in the last year or two. Uh, I think that when it comes to resetting worlds for me, the closest experience I have is when I've been doing little modded playthroughs and I, I don't spend very much time in a world. It's more about where I am, what the feel is like. I only just walk around. I don't tend to reset if I've invested enough time into mining and resource gathering and farming and stuff like that. I'm just like, well, I'll just deal with whatever this is going to give me. But very often a good example in a modded playthrough is for me like spawning into a plains biome. I'm just like, I can do this in regular Minecraft. I really kind of <laughs> want to find yeah. one of like the fall forest or the the stony cliffs or like whatever it is that they have in this you know the the new flowers that they have whatever it is that this mod has this mod pack has i want to spawn in the flamingo desert or like whatever it is they have the pink sand just because i want to be somewhere different and cool uh, and if i don't get that right away if i'm walking around for a couple of minutes going like this is vanilla minecraft i'm out like i i can't you know i can't do it you know vice versa i've also come across a place where like this place looks okay and then you come into this giant you know ore filled pit of like there are 17 different ore ores at a glance that i can't even name right now and i can see them all from here so like yeah we're gonna stay here this looks like a good place to get this mod pack off the ground and so that kind of stuff is is you know just rolling the dice and, and kind of rolling with it and see what happens afterwards um i do find that um i have been tempted to return to my first minecraft world eternia uh where i built snake mountain and because of that that feeling that i had of how large the world was like i remember having another tunnel that was like a couple hundred blocks long and i felt it was so long that i actually built a minecart rail to ride in it <laughs> you're and like, you're this, like i got a hands-free this 200 block trip right <laughs> yeah exactly right so now it's just like man i've got i think some of our builds are uh, the builds themselves are wider <laughs> You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. certainly, certainly it takes me longer to walk across West Hill than it did to walk through this nether tunnel into my first world. So it would be interesting to go back there and it would be tempting to try and play in that world knowing now what I did not know then. But at the same time, like I know that I would be frustrated with like, I built Snake Mountain out of gray stone because there was nothing black in the game. And now we've got black stone, we've got uh we've got deep slate we've got all these things that i could use to make snake mountain actually black and i'd be too tempted to start like redoing it and stuff so if i go back and do anything again it would be interesting as a single player to go back and try to do that single player experience that's why i've been tempted to do like a peaceful playthrough uh, or something else just to kind of like have that experience and have that long-term thing. But it's always a, a time thing for me. And I think that the whole resetting world or the, the long-term world ultimately for me comes down to the time investment in Minecraft. And one of the things I like about the Citadel being such a long-term world is that not only do we have the resources available for the multiple farms that I've built or other people have built, but we have more people playing. So like, I had an idea for a frog light farm is one of the things I might want to do when I finish West Hill is like a, a nice break, a little bit of a redstone thing. And Matcast has returned to the game after some time away and built a frog light farm. And it's fantastic because now I have frog lights and all I had to do was give them a diamond a stack. <laughs> yeah. So stuff like that is fantastic. Like, I mean, someone has built something cool on the server. They've had a fun time doing it. And then it saves other players time if you're sharing resources. And even if it's just like a small market exchange or whatever, it just, that kind of thing was like, would I still like to eventually build a frog life farm? Sure, just as something to do. But until I do, 
I'm no longer hamstrung without frog lights. Like I can use them right now if I really want to. And I, I find that that kind of experience is something that nudges the long-term world over the edge for me compared to, you know, always having a new world whenever, you know, something new happens in Minecraft. Yeah, uh, I remember when we had Henrik Nieberg on the show and around that time he was when he was still working on the game, he was talking about the experience of starting a new world and instead of just settling down at spawn, exploring until you found a place you wanted to settle down and really making your base there. And I feel like reminding people, since this is an option that you can do if you've got a, a single-player world or a multiplayer server that really wants to start spawn in a certain area, there is a command that you can use to move your world spawn to a specific place. The coordinates will obviously be different, but I think Hermitcraft did it on this season. Uh, they, they ended up with a seed that none of them knew about, but they had a specific place that they wanted to set as the world spawn, but the coordinates are off by about 2,000 blocks from 0-0 on both axes. They just went with it. And I think it because it's such a striking area, it's got mountainous basins nearby and a really cool river and everything, they just felt like it was worth it. Um, why a guy in our chat is pointing out that on Bedrock, commands like that do cause you to lose achievements. And that's, that's fair enough. It, you don't get access to that if you've been using cheats, which is effectively what the commands are. And once again, more reasons to rebrand cheats as commands and allow to use some of them. But even then, once you're more experienced with Minecraft, this is the type of gameplay that you'll want to want to put in and that's the point where you've probably earned some of the achievements anyway and you're not that worried about some of them um i think exploring the world is for some players part of the challenge and having useful biomes at a distance encourages you to create transport solutions you work on a nether hub you work on minecart rails you figure out you know whether you want to invest in transport infrastructure for the longer term or if you just want to rush the dragon get a lightra and fly around everywhere even fly through your nether hub if you want to set things up like that there are reasons to do that and the game encourages it rather than i think while players kind of get used to the luxury of being able to roll whatever seed they want and having all of those biomes within easy reach there will always be reasons to go further out not least the fact that they keep adding more features and biomes. So even after I trimmed my 118 world, I still needed to travel to find a deep dark and an ancient city and mangrove swamps and stuff like that. So I think there is always going to be a reason to travel. Um, Mojang made budding amethyst an immovable block because they wanted players to travel to geodes. They talked about that explicitly when they implemented geodes in 117 and so having a central base is always going to be important to players but travel is naturally going to be an essential part of your gameplay so if you get stuck with a dark oak forest spawn you could set up there and you could have wood for days and you could work on slowly clearing an area and gathering all of those supplies and let's be real if you're building a medieval town your experience here joel you're probably going to use a fair amount of wood <laughs> so yeah 100 start, starting out with that as a resource cache is going to be pretty worthwhile but you can also look around a little further to find some more uh amiable terrain for that kind of project and you can set your spawn there either with a bed or with the command and go from there i don't think your world spawn necessarily has to be the be all end all when as we say every week the world outside is infinite right so have an explore <laughs> look around your world a little bit more and see if you can find some place to settle down before you abandon it entirely 
that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks thank you so much for listening folks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks you can join our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show when it's recorded live which it might not be while we have a few guest hosts but back in february and we'll be uh, back to our usual schedule after that we also have our monthly minecraft audio hangout coming up where we're talking about trends in our patrons gameplay and the minecraft community in general that's this saturday stay tuned uh, we currently have 338 patrons, which is eight more than last week. So thank you so much to everybody who has hopped on board. We would love to exceed our highest ever total, which Joel let us know on the uh, latest quarterly hangout where we discuss all of the facts and figures, the behind the scenes stuff. We had 342 patrons back in June of 2022. We'd love to exceed that number sometime in early 2023. So hop on board if you can. Special thanks go to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on itunes spotify google podcasts and youtube be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform you can also email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com the rss feed is linked at the spawnchunks.com and the patron only rss feed is on the patreon page that's where you can listen to the render distance the extended version of the podcast my name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixariffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where pretty soon you should see me covering the entirety of Hermitopia in glass on Empire's SMP, and I'm hoping to get a tutorial out for my copper aging machine before I leave for my trip. I expect a few other things popping up here and there as well. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixariffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm up to online is linked at joelduggan.com, including The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, talked about Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime, and Stephen ESC has begun the journey of watching The Bad Batch, the Star Wars animated series. So that was uh, fun to talk about. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week, but lots of extra streams these days. Lego on Fridays and Minecraft on Saturday, Sunday. The rest, stop by and find out. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, no matter where you start.